Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. From the over-the-top studios at Scratch Labs in Boulder, Colorado, it's Midlife Radio with Midlife George Thomas. And today we're going to be talking wising up physically with Dr. Robin Saltonstall and Coach John Hughes. Thanks very much for joining us again. Thank you for inviting us, George. Yeah, glad we're here. Always a pleasure. Wising up physically. So today's show is all about sex after 50? It could be. (laughs) Yeah. Among other things. Okay. Some, yes. some of us has some yes. experience with that. Yes. Well, then, Robin, yes. we better start with you. <laughs> but I was going to talk about the brain. It, 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 but but sex is primarily yeah. how you think, how you feel in your head. Yes, it is. Not physical sensation. Seriously, I mean, especially as you get older, it's more about the emotional side how you're relating to the person, which is partially cognitive, partially emotional, and it's far less about the physical side, in part because physical capacity is one of the things that does diminish somewhat with age. Or changes. Changes, yeah. 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 There, there, there are many ways to be intimate, both physically and emotionally. And that's interesting you say that because... I mean, that's kind of, we, we were really focusing today on athletes, <laughs> but uh, you really described how you are in, in sport. It is much more about your brain, isn't it? Yes, it is. It is. The, um, I actually wanted to speak a little bit to the, um, what happens is a, when, we're, when we are, as we get older, well, actually what happens to us when we're athletes in our brain from the time where we start moving, which is we often thought, science often thought until 1998 that, there were, that the brain did not regenerate cells. And now we know, there's a, a landmark article that came out in 1998 showing that actually there is neurogenesis in the brain and that one of the, if not the primary catalyst for that is exercise, is movement. And it's one of the things that uh, keeps those who are athletes being athletic and it's what when people start to move just for fitness reasons they get hooked because they actually feel different and we are we do change the infrastructure of our brain when we exercise so i'm guessing they're diminishing returns with the quantity of exercise that is you get some brain benefit at five hours a week and more at 10 hours a week Mm -hmm. but if you're doing brevets and riding for 40 straight hours, Mm -hmm. the extra 20 hours isn't necessarily doing a lot good for your brain. That's a great question. So the the way, and again, this is being researched now, so I'm just gonna speak from what's 
kind of contemporary knowledge. When we exercise, the proteins that are created in our muscles actually are carried through our bloodstream, through the blood-brain barrier, and go into a particular part of our brain called the hippocampus. So the neurogenesis is happening in this hippocampus. So the hippocampus is that part of our brain that takes the uh, information that our prefrontal cortex, which is sort of our executive director, sends to it and organizes it. Like, that's important, that's not important, I'll keep this, I'll get rid of that. So when we exercise, that process is going on. So while we're exercising, we're fairly stupid, okay? Which is why... No, I, I won't argue with that. <laughs> I mean, exactly. <laughs> and, and we know this. And I'll tell you, as a, as a long-distance swimmer who's had to do many, many miles in the pool, it's impossible to count lengths. We can't do it. We can't do simple things like counting. And the reason we can't is that the oxygen is going to our muscles and creating the proteins that end up as a protein building factor in the brain, but our brain itself is pretty on vacation when we're, when we're in our athletic movement. But afterwards, like an hour afterwards and then on through the day, what happens is we have so much more protein material in our brain that we can think much more clearly, where we have more of our brain available to us for the task at hand, which is why if you exercise in the morning and you have a task or a meeting later in the afternoon, you are on it. And that's that phenomenon. So going back to your question, if I'm 20 hours on the bike or I'm six hours in the water, I'm not doing a whole lot of brain function in terms of processing during that time. I'm really focused on what I'm doing. So, so a comment and a question. I mean, I, I've primarily done long distance events and, and mm -hmm. I figured out that I, I cannot remember much of anything or think about much of anything. So that's why I carry notes. When I'd roll into a control on a brevet, I had a file card that reminded me of everything I needed to do. So that's the, the comment. Now the question is, I, I do a lot of writing and I will get to where I cannot figure out how to organize something or I'm not sure where to go or whatever. Mm -hmm. I'll go for a bike ride for an hour or two or a hike or whatever. Yeah. And I will have to almost have to stop and dictate into my phone all the great ideas that are coming. So so somehow my the creative side, even if not the problem solving side of my brain, yes, is working. Exactly. It is working. And that's so but you have to stop in order to bring it all together and write it down. And you're saying that's just functional because you can't do that on the bike? Or you're, sa you're saying you have epiphanies as you ride? I'm, I'm saying I have epiphanies as I ride. Um, imagine lots of little thought balloons out yes. there. That's yes. a great idea. That's yes. a great idea. Oh, yes. wow, I like that one. Yes. And what you're saying fits with my reality. I could dictate in my phone thought balloons yes. in some random yes. order. Yes. But I then have to sit down at my computer and organize them and express them in a way that actually makes sense. Go yes. from the creative version to the cognitive yes. way. Yes, so you're referencing another aspect of the oxygenation and, pro and protein creation that's happening as our muscles move. So we also, in moving, move into our uh, I'm going to call it the right brain, even though we use our left brain as well. But we move into 
this uh, expansive, broad awareness. And when we're there, all the thought bubbles make sense. They all interconnect. And so we're able to have the lightning bolts, the epiphanies, when we're out there exercising. So that's a phenomenon unto itself. That's right. interesting, too. I, after my second TBI, I uh, was doing some rehab on a bicycle, and uh, I read audio books, audio blogs, and uh, I was having all sorts of trouble reading because of the brain injury, but um, they had me ride the trainer and do some lumosity and then go read after doing that, and I was fine. Yes. But if I would not have the exercise beforehand, I could barely read at all. So that also touches in on we can change our brain by moving our body so that when there is some disconnect between the left and right hemispheres, doing bilateral movement, arms moving in opposition, legs moving in opposition, creates a neural integration in the brain that we then can literally use our brain better. So you did, you were doing a bilateral movement that caused some some firing of the neurons across the center of your brain, across the corpus callosum, and then you do a task like luminosity, and your brain goes, okay, I'm gonna use this as my way to solve these luminosity problems. And our brains are, this is very important, adaptive. They're not fixed, they're always adaptive. And they're always talking amongst, our brains are always like a chatting network. I mean, they are a chatting network of connections. So in that case, you're doing your, your connectors were jumping back and forth, back and forth. They finally go, oh, hi, how are you? And then you bring in a task. Oh, I'm gonna do this luminosity test. And they all say, oh, let's all go do that. Whereas prior to that, they were all on either side of the room and not talking. So, so another comment and a question. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I had surgery. I've had double vision since I was in my 20s. And they, uh, cut one muscle so one eye goes down and they said it's going to take a couple of weeks for your brain to learn to adjust same thing i'm supposed to wear my hearing aid all the time so my brain gets used to it except i'm out riding my bike sweating mm -hmm. so forth and so on mm -hmm. so so then the question robin i i work with with people who are busy physically trying to do stuff i work below the neck i cannot remember for the life of me what the right brain does and what the left brain does can you remind us please sure so, um, and I, I'm going to say that the left and the right, the idea of them being separate is actually um, true, but also becomes less true as we get older. So one of the phenomenon of maturing is that the left and right brain learn to talk to each other better. But the left side is used more for our linear kinds of tasks, for counting, that kind of thing, for um, organizing, data in front of us into a line, although the organizing in order to see all the data is a right brain function, so it's more spatial, it's looking at the big picture, it's also what allows us to walk into a door, I mean through a door and not into a door, so it has a lot to do with our physical, how we are in space, so spatial, spatial, spatial. And what's very interesting is that to go to sleep we actually use the left brain, left our left side of our brain, which is why the traditional counting sheep works. It actually puts us to sleep, and that has to do with some of the neurotransmitters in our head. But staying asleep 
is a right brain activity. And so we go into dreamland. So it's, and they're constantly talking back and forth with each other. And as we get older, and this is some of the research that's been done on, we talked last time about the second myelination in the brain, is that <coughs> as the brain, as we get older and somewhere in our 50s, our brain learns to use itself more properly. And up until then, we really have a toddler brain. It's sort of left and right, like, I'll do it, I'll do it. And then by the time we're in our 50s, our brain is really used to learn all of itself and is starting to practice that. Like, how do I take on John's eye? How do I learn? How are we going to learn now? He's got a different eye down there. How are we going to see through this? And both sides get engaged in it. Now I'm looking John in the eye and there's no droop, there's nothing. How long did it take? It actually happened very quickly. And, and the interesting part of it, for decades, I've tilted my head to the left. So my eyes lined up. And I actually rode in to have coffee with Robin a couple days after the surgery. And, and I looked down at my bike and instead of my bike being leaned to the right for balance, the top tube was over the down tube. Wow, I could read mm -hmm. with both eyes. It was amazing. So to go to back to your point, Robin, of, of your, your brain communicating better at the two sides, what it sounds like is a better and better two-person team doing an event, getting more and more dialed in to each other's strengths, weaknesses, how to work together, mm -hmm. the uh, exchanges are better, et cetera, et cetera. How interesting that you bring up two-person team, John. <laughs> <laughs> Is that a segue or what? Uh, that yeah. was amazing. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, Race Across the West just ended. Race Across America is going on. And before we kind of get into uh, some specific details, I've mentioned this a lot on the show, but uh, I remember back uh, doing RAM in 1995, and it was just amazing that there was a 50-year-old out there who set a 50-59 to 59 record. And I also think the Packmasters were out that year, and you may have been crewing for them that year, John? 95, I was crew chief, the Packmasters' first 60-plus four-person, four-man team, and they, of course, did set a record. Interesting bit of trivia. The four of them met on the second ever pack tour, 1988. That's when they all four got to know each other, and I happened to be on the pack tour too. So we when all they became were great friends. Ancient cyclists in 80 at uh, 50 plus. And still hanging with the big dogs. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and this year, uh, I was interviewing people at the end of Race Across the West. We had a 70 plus men's team who did very well, a uh, 50 to 59 men's team, a uh, two-person team of 60 to 69, rode extremely well and ended up winning two-person overall. Uh, and then in the under 50, uh, there was an old guy who had a young partner that dragged their age down under 50 and they won. <laughs> so, I mean, what is it with the aging athletes? 70-year-olds uh, are competitive. One, one comment is... As we age, if we're staying competitive, we learn to ride smarter. I won the 508 twice, Furnace Creek 508 twice, against riders who were much stronger physically. But I was smarter. I set a course record at Boston, Montreal, Boston, because I knew how to manage the time and everything. 
I got dropped for the first control. Everybody, all you know, the fast guys, they were gone. But I could ride more intelligently. And one of the things I really emphasize with my riders, when, when, once most people get to our age, they are close to peaking physically. And the continual improvement comes from the brain. I agree. And the, it, we become far more aware of what our resources are as an athlete. And I mean by that our internal resources. How fast can I go here? How slow do I need to go here? What, how do I need to train for this? And in knowing that, we're actually able to apply our resources much more efficiently for a race or an event. That's, uh, I much had, smarter. Well, I had a soloist who didn't make it all the way, but put in a great ride. Uh, and his crew came up and were like, you got to ask him how old he is. So I was like, okay, how old are you? And he's 71. And it was kind of like, you know, that's great, but that's not unique anymore. Right. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. One, one of the concepts that I use a lot is what I call athletic maturity. And I've been doing endurance events since the mid-70s. John Lee Ellis, our good friend, since the mid-80s. And overall that time, a lot of what happens is what Robin was talking We get the experience. We know how hard we can go. We don't go too hard. We know how to manage all of the details. I mean, all, all the discomfort things. We know what to do to avoid saddle sores, numb hands, et cetera, et cetera. We know how much we can and can, can eat. We know not eating too much doesn't work, eating the wrong things doesn't work, not eating enough, so forth and so on. So it, it's how mature is an athlete? How mature is a, let's broaden it, let's, let's not just talk about athletes, but let's talk about people who exercise. Somebody who is a health and fitness jogger and has been for 10 years, by the time they get into their 50s, they know how far they can jog. Good friend was training for a marathon half marathon and this friend was down at the Grand Canyon and having such a great run that she ran for 15 miles training for half marathon she had a great time she had a great half marathon she's also in her 20s but that's not something an athletic mature athlete would do we would think okay I know what the limits are and that is that speaks to this second myelination that allows us to see the big picture so it's the big picture of what our resources are and by that I mean our, our experience base and so we might pull in I know that if I travel to a race I'm more tired and therefore I need to go two days ahead of time a younger person might have that awareness but they won't put it in the calculus the calculus has many more variables in it that add up to okay I want to do that race here's what I need to put in there Another term that applies there is what I call race management. To to be successful in at least the kinds of things that I do, it's very little about your body and what your body can do. It's it's being smart enough to manage all the details, like Robin's talking about. I've got got a got a client who didn't finish race across the West and figured out what the problem was and said, All right, next time, what can I do? And it had nothing to do with his physical training. It was something else. So, it's, so that, that's another aspect that's all about race management. Another thing that I think that happens as we get older is finishing stays really important in a lot of events, but not necessarily placing well. Just we're, 
we get more into the experience and our goals shift. I can't remember the last time I wrote a century, in all honesty. But I love climbing passes. I've ridden to the top of Trail Ridge once this year. It took me forever, but what's to do but look at the scenery, think, observe, stop and breathe, talk to people? The whole experience of going up there is much more fun than planting the flag on top, holding my bike up and getting a picture taken. I think that's one of the the prime, primary um, experiences that happen as we get older and as we're athletic, which is it's not the detail of the t-shirt or the flag, it's the meaning that's going that's in it and the doing it's the process it's the meaning so it's it's not the ends it's the means and that's what becomes important and going back to what you were saying too about um, being in the midst of a race so I work a lot with people who do long-distance ocean swimming last year the Waikiki swim was uh, canceled because of weather so I had a bunch of people who were there and they wanted to do a swim anyway once the water was safe and for almost every single one of them and they're all in their late 50s early 60s it was very gnarly water even though it was okay to swim and each one of them talked about what they did to navigate that water that's what was important how I dealt with it in in there while I was in there and not that they finished in X amount of hours it was the process it was the in the being in that was important. Yeah, race across the West, my goals totally changed this year. Uh, and it's funny you mentioned the awards or I, I could care less about a medal or, I, I mean, there's, I have my employee of the month from Eldora <laughs> hanging on the wall here. <laughs> but uh, race management, starting out uh, really from Boulder, my crew chief flew to Boulder, did all the work and set up, whereas last year I did everything and drove nonstop out to Oceanside. Um, he drove the entire way. I rested and felt much better at the start. Uh, and then our my goal for the race was, one, to ride it to the best of my ability, but I really wanted to finish strong. I wanted to finish get to the finish and feel like, you know, I could do RAM if I wanted to, and I did. And that was a success. Mm-hmm. Yeah, an- another part of it that I think changes as we get older, back in 94, I DNF'd in RAM, in Durango. I made it as far as Durango. It would have been good and raw. And I finished two years later in 96. That was a huge victory. And now the people I coach, somebody DNFs, and they say, boy, I sure enjoyed all the training. Sorry I didn't make it. I skied a lot last winter. Uh, One race I wasn't even last. One race I didn't do because of conditions. But boy, did I have fun. I I think when people get our age, they, they get much more pleasure out of all of the process of getting ready. Working on the bike. Waxing the skis. Doing the do, I mean, it's a lot of time. It's not even training. It's going out there and doing what you love, and you kind of structured in different ways. But it's not per se a rigid training program. Now, Robin, can we bring the brain into this? Because again, the brain injury. I've been having lots of therapy uh, with the EMDR, mm-hmm. and you were talking about brain spotting. One of the things. 
When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Things I wanted to work on was not minding when the sun came up. I love long distance racing because I like riding through the night. It's magical to me. And when the sun came up, it was like, ugh, now that means it's going to be hot. The wind's going to pick up. I hate riding during the day. Yes. This year, we were able to fix that, and I enjoyed the whole experience. Yeah, and you probably did it through some form of uh, reworking your brain around that issue of sunrise. Is that true? Exactly. It was... Yeah, she. Yes. It was all EMDR therapy, but she got me yeah. where I I enjoyed the entire experience. Y- yeah, a little a little decoding. What is MDR, Robin? Oh, the so it's a form of um, I'm going to say therapy. It's actually a form of thinking that changes the wiring in our brain. So, backing up for a second, how we how our brain wires is how we fire. That's sort of the moniker that's used, meaning that our brain is, as I said before, always chatting with itself. It's not fixed in any way. It's a constant conversation. It's like an internet. And certain people are on and certain people are off and they're always talking. And um, so Anything that we have etched into our brain, so one of the things that you had etched in, George, was sunrise means sluggish. Sunrise means da-da-da-da-da. So when you see a sunrise out of your eyes, your brain goes, sunrise, better bring up sluggishness, and da-da-da-da-da. That doesn't have to be the case. You can actually create a different set of neural connections for when you see sunrise. And that's what the processes like EMDR, brain spotting, or what you did, rewired you. It literally made a parallel structure of wirings that were stimulated by sunrise. And EMDR stands for eye movement. Uh, Yeah, uh, rapid eye movement, I'm forgetting at the moment. Eye movement, desensitization. Rapid desensitization. That's it. Thing. Yep. Desen- yeah. And yeah. Uh, I mean, I started it because yes. I got hit by a suburban on my left side and then hit mm-hmm. by the deer on my left side. So when I would see movement mm-hmm. on my left, I would just freeze or panic or yes. mm-hmm. uh, noises mm-hmm. on the left would really get to me. And uh, it's been amazing. Yeah, it's phenomenal. It's phenomenal work. And it works at 
we, we often think we only think in our cognitive part of our brain, but our body has its own brain. I mean, we have a heart brain, we have a gut brain, and our whole, neuro, what's called our neuroception, which is what makes our hair stand on end when we're scared, or our hair might, I've had been on many runs in the Cal Colorado mountains where my hair will stand on end and I know there's a mountain lion around. So we know, so that, that is there. And when you had your accident, that got, the, that accident got stored in you about sounds on the left side. So you can rewrite that. So that's something to, that's so important to know is that we are not fixed at all. Everything's up for grabs and rewriting. Again, a couple of things. I, I got hit by a truck, almost died on the left side. If I need to make a U-turn on a road on my bike, I cannot turn left. Mm -hmm. I have to wait until it's clear and go to the right and turn around. So now, jump back to 1992. I was getting ready to do Boston, Montreal, Boston, and Robin suggested I do some visualization. And she explained that's not thinking about it. That's feeling what it's like to ride at different stages. And you suggested, and you're quite right, I'm going to have used this with many, many clients, it's trying to get the sensations. What is the temperature? What is the wind? How are your legs feeling? Are you hungry? Et cetera, et cetera. And so to make it realistic, um, my then wife and I were in, Santa, in uh, Santa Fe, and so I sat outside in the rain in my bike shoes and clothes and helmet and visualized. And I visualized the first third, next day the second third, third day the third third, and then I went through it again. And when I got there and those fast guys left me, well, they'd left me in my visualization. And I knew how it felt. And I knew how it physically felt to catch them one by one and by dark. And the most amazing thing is I was riding along about two in the morning feeling really sleepy and cranky and I spotted this porch and in my visualization I'd seen that sport porch and I went over there and I ate some sort of energy bar just like I had in my visualization and I lay down for a 20 minute cat nap just like in my visualization and got up ended up being faster than anybody else so I mean there are a lot of different ways you can rewire your brain Another one that's more cognitive that I'll use with people, you know, somebody doing Paris Press Paris, I'll say, okay, it's 1,200K. I want you to go out and ride 200K. And every time you've gone, say, 10K, imagine where you would be 120K down the road in Paris Press Paris. Think through what the course is like. Think through what you got to do. It's a different way of getting your mind around what's going on. But all of those are ways of reprogramming your brain so what then happens it feels familiar i'd never i'd never ridden my bike in new england but it felt familiar so title of our show wising up physically really is wising up in the brain yes well it's also we don't we don't want to give the brain we don't want the body to not be given it's due as well because we're all we're all of a piece so the going to back to what John was saying in his visualization, which is unfortunate, it's called visualization, it should be sensing, would be a more appropriate term, is that um, how the body 
experiences or how we sense in our brain the body experiencing something is can be enacted prior to doing it and then we go and fill that out our brain doesn't actually know the difference between actually riding up that hill or feeling ourselves riding up that hill sitting in a chair right there's no difference and so we have an amazing capacity in our brain to work with the body and the body works with the brain and I don't want to go all into epigenetics but there's a lot of question now about whether some of the what we what we know in the brain comes from what are called morphic fields which are out here and are repositories of information about how to move if you're a zebra how to have a stripe as opposed to not having one and things like that but this this idea of our brain as an adaptable organ that we can manipulate is incredibly important. And, and part of what happens, for me at least, I think for a lot of people, is you get physical, fe- you get physical information flowing to your brain. And then you, you have programmed your brain how to interpret it. And you then send that physical information back. So interesting example, Jens Voigt, famous saying, shut up legs. Different way of thinking about it, different way of experiencing it is, hello legs. And I have this image of my legs as a, a, wa- a water wheel. Waterfall is just flowing over it and they're going round and round and round. And so it's not so much, well, not going nearly as fast as he is, but it's not so much shut up legs as, okay, I'm in that rhythm. And it's one of the things that I find terribly valuable when something isn't going right. Whatever. So you don't want your legs to shut up. You want them to talk to you. Yes. I, 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 I want that feedback. And, and that allows, it, part of it's the rhythm of it. Just focusing on the rhythm. And I get my brain and the rhythm and I'm doing it. And it's a way of, it's a way of calming the anxiety, whatever I'm worrying about. That speaks to in, in open water swimming because you can't sit on the curb. If you stop, you drown. So you need to have a way of working with the fear that arises. And often for people, the fear will show itself in losing rhythm in your stroke, losing rhythm in your, your sense of flotation. This is the all over body sense. And by checking in with that, so one of the tools I use with people is check in with what your body is feeling. Well, I feel that my rhythm is gone. My legs aren't kicking. What do my legs need? Well, my legs feel unsafe. Now, that doesn't make much sense to us sitting here, but when you're swimming, we do have a sense of my legs don't feel safe. All right, so legs, what do you need? We need to feel safe. We need to stop kicking for a moment and float. Oh, roll on. My, let's roll on our back and float for a minute and kick in that pattern. And so it's this constant feedback that allows us then to find, in this case, the path to stay on top of the water. And and what I'm hearing that's really interesting about that is the initial feedback from the body is somehow negative. My legs Mm -hmm. are getting so tired, I cannot possibly pedal to the top. My butt is so sore, I cannot possibly sit on the seat. And then 
you problem solve. Mm -hmm. What do you need? What, well, all right. <laughs> like, what do you need, legs? Do you need to stop? Do you need to go to a lower, oh, no lower gear. Do you need to stand up for a minute? Do you need to pedal as slowly as you can without falling over? Do I need to eat and give you some energy? Do so I need to drink yes, from my so bottle? Yeah, you know what? And I'm going to say there's a wonderful um, element in the brain that athletes really need to know about that's called deep activation. And it's the classic thing that if I say your foot, everybody thinks about his or her foot. If I say blue, your brain goes to everything blue in the room. So this is deep activation. So when we are moving on our, on our bike or we're swimming in the water, as soon as we put our attention in a curious way to legs, what do my legs need, all of a sudden all of our brain is available to answer that question. If we say instead, oh, my legs hurt, then we find every example of our legs hurting. Well, my toe hurts, my ankle hurts, my blah, blah, blah. So it's very important to enter that with curiosity and say, what's needed here for the hurt that I'm feeling? Do I need to stand up? Do I need to change gear? Do I need to roll on my back if I'm swimming? And so the phrasing that is one of curiosity about the feedback from the body is one that allows us to move through that very dilemma. And it's important to continue to have a curious attitude. One, one of the big distinctions among different kinds of people doing exercise, some people focus in and scan with curiosity. Huh, wonder what my, wonder what my foot is feeling like. Let me just go down there and check that out. And other people disassociate. They will sing, they will talk, they will look at the scenery, they will do everything possible to avoid asking their body how it's doing. I use both, mm -hmm. but if I spend too much time disassociating, then my body speaks up to me and I, my response is not curious. And I can say as a clinician who works with athletes who've hurt themselves, who've injured, injured themselves, those who dissociate are the ones with the injuries. Right, right. Period. It, it, yeah, mm -hmm. it, if you're distracted, well, they're, they're too, if you're distracted, it's easier to go farther, harder, whatever than you should. But it's also possible if you are so, if it is so cognitive, so goal-oriented, that can override physical sensations. Exactly. That's how most people finish yeah. RAM, actually. That's funny. Back in 09 at Race Across mm -hmm. the West, I had a crew chief, Sandy Whittlesey, who's a record holder at right. Boston, Montreal, right. Boston, phenomenal rider, phenomenal crew chief. And he said, I want my riders to be Michael Jordan. I want you at the end to want to be on your bike because you know you're going to be the fastest on this, you know, be able to do the best you can. You want to win. And I had always been so tired in the previous four raws at the end that I was like, oh my gosh, my team, I, I want to pass the ball to my teammate. <laughs> this year, after all the injuries, all the therapy, I finally experienced that, where going into those three climbs between Cortez and Durango, I wanted to be on the bike. And my legs did hurt, but I didn't care. I wanted that feeling. I just wanted to get out there. And I want to get that feeling back every time now. It was amazing.
And you will because from your brain's point of view, when you're saying, we want to do this this way, it goes into deep activation and finds the way to do that. Ah. Because you're, you're saying, here's what we want to do here. And it's saying, okay, well, let's pull this in and pull that in and pull this in. And you do. And it feels like an amazing internal congruence. All of you is in it. And another part of that, I think, is my brain, at least, I think everybody's brain, is getting lots of different signals. And when I'm enjoying it, I'm still getting all the signals, but the signals of tired legs are at lower volume. Uh, and mm-hmm. the and mm-hmm. the and the signals of. Yeah. I, I rode up Trail Ridge one time before it was was open. They were still playing. It was like, wow, wow, look at the snowbanks, wow, nobody's here. And my legs were also saying, "Excuse us." Yes, <laughs> but, we're here too. And and part of it is, part of it is conscious. You get to choose which signals you're going to listen to. And part of it just happens. Mm-hmm. And all the, the fact that it's all there is what's important because, yes, it's part of the calculus. My legs are now saying, we don't really want to do this. And that's part of the calculus. Okay, I hear you, legs. We're going to go a little bit more using this source of energy. You know, maybe I stand up or maybe I sit back on the saddle or maybe I, whatever I do. But... So the even the, the, in quotes, negative feedback is used as a way to move forward because our primary motivation is I want to feel good and I want to go here. I'm thinking of a section through Monument Valley where there's a ridiculously steep climb. <laughs> it's 10 to 12 percent. It's where everybody takes the classic shots of Monument Valley uh, facing toward some of the beautiful rock formations out there. Uh, and I ended up getting that this year, and there were a bunch of people with cameras out, and I'm thinking, oh, no. <laughs> but then I looked at the hill and thought, this is why John has me do hill repeats. And it, I've never had that happen in an event before either, where it was like, mm-hmm. you do this multiple times a week. This is your time to shine. Let's go. Yeah, and that, I actually yes. broke out in chills, not from heat exhaustion, but because people are out there with cameras and I'm riding up this thing in my time trial helmet with music blasting on the van, and I was having the time of my life, and I was at the limit, but it was so fun. Sure, that that's another whole aspect of it. I mean, yes. you and I talked about it preparing. Um, you climbed Lee Hill repeated numbers of times, and it was much. That was much harder. It was way harder. Way harder, and and I mean that's another important thing for somebody. Somebody with a lot of athletic maturity has a fair amount of athletic. I, I can gut through anything that's long, and that's because I've been doing it for a while. Um, took a friend out to do her first Buff Classic, and we trained together. We rode every part of the course, and part of what we did is we rode old stage from the north side, which is not quite as steep as from the south side, but it's pretty steep. And we got up to the top, and she could coast home. We got to different places on the sentry. Eh, I've done old stage. Can't be that hard. And so that's a different way of getting physical feedback to build intellectual confidence that you can do something. That's what Brevet's about. I've, I've done 600K. How much harder can 1200K be? 
a fair yeah. amount, as it turns out, but still. Yeah. <laughs> but your brain doesn't know that. Well, I think yeah. of a racing a 24. As soon as it says go, I'm like, woohoo, 2359. <laughs> <laughs> That's so much yeah, easier so than 24 hours. <laughs> I mean, that's another really interesting example. When when Wiggins was setting the hour record, he knew he could not possibly go at max speed for an hour. He just couldn't do it. So he he divided it in, into twelve minute sections. All he had to do was go as hard as he could for twelve minutes, and then he you know he'd finish the section, and then he went into the second one, and so on. And from time to time, I time trial Flagstaff just to see what I cannot possibly ride flat out for three miles up that stupid hill, but I can ride to the first mile marker as hard as I can. Divide and conquer. Mm-hmm. And is this all part of our brain wising up? Yes, of knowing that. I mean, you just said it so well. If you can, you know what Flagstaff is, and you know how you're going to divide it up. I mean, I, I've used that many, many times. Well, myself writing, but also crewing for people. I cannot possibly finish this. No, I, know, I, I totally understand that. But I'm sure you can ride to the top of the hill. Well, okay. And then I'll give you a donut. (laughs) (laughs) Whatever, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Look, I mean, the only hill you have to ride up anymore is sheep hole, and then it's downhill or flat to the finish. Really? How'd I get this far? One hill at a time. Yes. Mm -hmm. One control at a time. Yes. Race and team. One pull at a time. Mm Mm-hmm. Almost anything hard I can think of, I couldn't, could not uh, possibly yes. do. Because our brain knows what it knows. It knows one of something, might know two of something. Then when we have to do 12 of them, we reference, well, I can do one of these. Or, you know, as you were saying, I can do the 600. And so therefore, I can do the 1200. Right. Even though maybe not. Now, to but wrap up, I, we're over time, but uh, you're making me wonder now, are top athletes genetically gifted, plus do they have wiser brains? I Well, given that the brain is adaptable, my thought about that would be their life has been such that they have adapted in a certain way that allows them to continue to be curious and to take advantage of their the resources of their body and the environment and all of that and put it together into a performance that is satisfying to them. Because I'm sure there are other riders that have the physical capabilities of Bradley Wiggins, but maybe they don't have his smarts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the top ones take the, the, the capacity they're given and use it the best. Mm-hmm. And that's what we need to do at age 50 plus? Yes. Okay. We are doing that. Well, what are we going to talk about next time? Because I want to do this again as soon as I'm back in town. Well, we started with sex and then then, (laughs) then went to other parts. (laughs) We we could start with other bodily functions and how they uh, diminish with time, too. And then end with sex. And then end with sex. Okay. We'll get get an audience out of this one, I'm sure. (laughs) Maybe people have some ideas about what they want to hear about. You know, that's a good (laughs) idea. We can throw that out there to the audience. And uh, we got some great comments and feedback from our first show so I 
really looking forward to getting this going. It's a lot of fun. Dr. Robin Saltonstall, Coach John Hughes, thanks very much for joining us on Midlife Radio. From the Over the Top Studios at Scratch Labs in Boulder, Colorado, I'm George Thomas. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.